We're so glad that you're here. I got you fired up. You're ready to go. We are starting a brand new series today called Learn From Jesus. And so this is really like part two of a major series uh, because uh, we have been looking at since the beginning of January and we're going all the way through Easter, uh, kind of this one big series. We've been looking at the life and ministry of Jesus and how uh, his life impacts our lives. And so in January, we began kind of the first series. You remember the name of that? There you go. Walk with Jesus. That's awesome. I see some t-shirts out here. So anyways, uh, so we started with Walk with Jesus. And in that series, we learned that Jesus invited everyone to follow and become a disciple of Christ. And some people did, some people did not. It was an amazing series. So if you missed that series, I want to encourage you to go back on our website, check that out, because we're kind of in like a three-part series going all the way uh, to Easter. And so uh, it would be good for you to check that out. And it was awesome as well. Now, today we are in this series again, where we're going to be learning from Jesus. When Jesus turned 30, uh, at that point, he started to engage people on a regular basis by meeting with them, listening to them, uh, also uh, healing them, teaching them. And when he taught, he often was laser focused on a particular mission. And so as he started to talk and teach people, uh, we learned that his big subject was the kingdom of God or God's rule or God's kingdom. And then he would unpack that. And often when he spoke, he would begin by saying this. He would say, the time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. And so as he started to teach the audiences, he would unpack that um, quite a bit because there's a lot of core teachings uh, within that subject matter. And uh, he would teach these things over and over because there was so much confusion about God in the world. There were religious leaders who were uh, saying one thing and other religious leaders who were saying other things. And it just left people uh, not knowing what to do, how to respond. It left them in confusion, but it also left them in fear. And so when Jesus began to teach, there was something different. It was clear. And greater than that, when he spoke, it matched his actions, which spoke volumes. And so I'm excited about this series because we are going to be unpacking the core teachings of Jesus for ourselves, and we're going to see how they can apply in our circumstances today. And they can, because we all know, like right now, there is so much confusion. I mean, you just check out your social media things that you are connected to, uh, TV, your TV subscriptions. There is so much confusion coming from so many different sources and all those sources are saying that the other source is wrong. Uh, there's so much confusion uh, because they all have their agenda and it can get downright nasty and ugly amongst them. Now, we can't like put all the blame on them because we kind of contribute, don't we? Like if we get real honest, we contribute to the mess because we don't fact check our own sources, do we? We just go with like what Google says or we ask Alexa and we just say, all right, tell us how it is. Or sometimes we just simply uh, don't do enough of the research to really ask the right questions. And often when we look at God, we do the same thing. We don't really find out who he is and what he stands for. We don't do the investigation of finding out what is God's kingdom? What is his way of living? What is his teachings? 
And so we don't often do the research and the investigation. So I'm excited about this series. Uh, Whether you are a Christ follower or not, if you're just checking out this whole God thing, uh, I'm excited because you are invited to check out the core teachings of Jesus for yourself. Because we've had thousands and thousands of people who saw Jesus, heard what he said, There are thousands of people who followed him. There were many people who were very close to him, were eyewitnesses, and wrote down what they saw. And yes, there was fact-checking. There was interviewing to make sure it was just right. And you'll see that as we begin this series and launch into this four-part series. And so I'm excited to invite you to begin to learn from Jesus. And so if you would, if you would take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 1, and, uh, or your smartphone devices, um, if you don't have a Bible, always feel free to get one from the back um, as our free gift to you. We want you to have a copy. And then also, uh, on your smartphone device, download the YouVersion Bible app. It's free. It's amazing. Uh, you can read the scriptures. You can listen to them in the car. There's tons of tools on there that will help you understand scripture for yourself. Um, And so just just amazing. But go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Um, We're also going to camp out in John chapter 3 as well. So we're going to go to kind of two places, but I'll give you a moment to turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. So as you turn there, let me kind of give you a little bit of what we're going to do today to set this up. It's going to be a little different, okay? So I'm going to unpack this first major core teaching of Jesus, which is the kingdom of God. And we're going to put ourselves kind of in the spot of those who saw this teaching unfold, okay? Because it was an unfolding of this teacher, and they saw it with their very own eyes. So we're going to follow closely and go on a journey with Peter and John, who first engaged Jesus pretty early on in his ministry and were invited to follow and then became very close and dear friends to Jesus as well. And they wrote down these accounts for us to see with our very own eyes as well. And so we're going to begin with them and seeing this through their eyes today. And so let me begin. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his very public ministry that lasted for three years. Okay, And Peter, uh, he often remembered Jesus and many others remembered Jesus saying this uh, when he spoke. He said, the time promised by God has come at last, he announced. And... um, Basically, the world was kind of like waiting. They were waiting to know exactly what God was like. A lot of them were living in fear. The Jewish people uh, had been waiting 400 years since the last prophecy was given about that the Messiah would come, the King would come. And so here's Jesus. He arrives and he says this. He says, the time promised by God has come at last, Jesus announced, the kingdom of God is near. Now, what does the kingdom of God mean? Well, it's God's kingship. It's his rule. It's the king is near because the king is here, okay? When people heard this, though, they thought, now, how can this be? The Roman Empire is here, okay? And how can he go around saying that the kingdom is near, Because in the minds of most, and especially Jewish people, like they knew the nation of Israel had not been a nation for hundreds and hundreds of years. So obviously, Jesus is talking about something totally different. 
and he was. He was talking about a kingdom without borders. He was talking about a kingdom that did not include people of a culture or ancestry, okay? He was, what we learn later on as this teaching unfolds is that Jesus is talking about God's kingdom is that of the heart. God's kingdom is of the heart. Yes, eventually there would be God's kingdom, but it was of the heart, okay? And here's the other thing that we're gonna unpack that you need to know up front. Jesus was also saying at the time in his teachings that everyone is invited and everyone can enter. Now that like turned those people's worlds upside down. That was a different teaching, okay? And it turned the world upside down as we'll see as well. So how does a king take control of the Roman Empire and take control of the Jewish leaders who were in control? Both of them were in control. How does he take control? And how does a king approach the people who believe that they are not good enough to stand before the king? Because they were living in fear, okay? Well, God sends a messenger, Okay, so starting in Mark 1.1, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God that Peter writes about. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written 700 years prior to this time to help everyone basically identify the Messiah, the King. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. Now in ancient times, like if you were in that audience, you would have known like, okay, this makes sense. Uh, I recognize what's going on in this language before a king or an emperor came to like that region or came to Palm Coast, like they would send a messenger ahead. They would fix everything. So like in Palm Coast, we'd fix the roads. No, we would really fix the sidewalks. We fix sidewalks all the time around here, right? And so all the sidewalks would be fixed and then all the people would be ready. It's kind of like that movie Gladiator, like when Claudius like kills his dad, but not really. And he comes to Rome and there's a parade and you see like the people being like stabbed in the back to cheer and everything like that. Well, God was coming, but without a sword. That's what they were used to. They were used to like, get out, greet the king or die. Here's some bread, get out there, cheer for him. He didn't come with a sword. That was different. So who was this messenger? Verse four, this messenger was John the Baptist. And let me tell you about this guy. This guy was not like your typical like messenger or priest, okay? He was nothing like the religious leaders. But when he spoke, when he spoke out in the wilderness, everyone's like, this guy's got to be speaking on God's behalf. And God's been silent for 400 years. What is going on? So he was in the wilderness, just like Isaiah prophesied, and preached that people should be baptized in waters to show everyone that they had already made an internal uh, decision to repent of their sins, like saying, hey, instead of going your way, you've forgotten, like go God's way, okay? So say you're sorry and turn to God to be forgiven. And so when the people heard him speak, they said, you're right, we haven't been ready for God. We've been living in fear of the Romans. We've been living in fear of the Jewish leaders. We have not been looking for God. So all of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John, and I bet that included the top religious leaders of the day and probably a man named Nicodemus, and we'll get to his story in a moment. 
And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. So ultimately, John's message to repent, we don't like that word sometimes, means simply, hey, I'm stopping going in my direction and the way that I want to do things. Instead, I'm turning and I'm saying sorry and I'm saying, God, you're in charge. Like, I want to do things your way, you know? And so it's a pause. It's not all in at that moment, but it's a pause to look forward to hearing what God has next. Now, many of you, we get this, you know, like some of you who don't even believe in God, you get this. Like when the sirens go on behind you, all of a sudden you're like, oh God, if there's a God, I will clean up my act. I will be in church today. And that's why some of you are here today. You know, that happened to you last night. Okay. So all of us have had this moment where we have had those kind of stop and decide moments where we get in so much trouble because we have been contributing to the mess. And all of a sudden we get like smacked with something and we're like, oh, help me. Now, some of you during the fast, you experienced this in a slightly different way. During the fast, you were about to start praying for someone praying for others, you're praying for something specifically. And as you met with God, all of a sudden he started just knocking. He said, hey, there's that one thing in your life and it's kind of getting in the way. It's causing some static between you and me. And you're like, you're right, Lord. Would you forgive me? And Lord, I want to follow. And so we have those moments all the time. We have moments where we repent, but we don't like that word. So we stop and we decide. Let's continue on. Now that was what was happening throughout Judea and the people of Jerusalem, and many of them were coming to grips that they were more focused on the voices of the day rather than God. And then John says something that got everyone's attention, okay? In verse seven, John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, and this is different, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, social media like started blowing up, okay? Like the mic was dropped and that means like Messiah is coming. If you didn't know that, that's what began it, okay? And so the very next day, Jesus arrives and is baptized by John the Baptist. And God reveals to John the Baptist that this is my son whom I am well pleased and made it very clear. And so John starts going, hey, there's the Messiah. Now, here's where things kind of get interesting, okay? Reports start coming into the Jewish high council that Jesus is starting to gain some followers, that he goes north, he shows up at this big official's home, he was hosting a wedding, and he turns uh, water into wine. It was mind-boggling. And message starts coming down to Jerusalem about 50 miles from uh, this place that Jesus was at. And reports are coming in. He did this. Everybody was there. All the big shots were there. They saw this happen and everything. And then Jesus arrives in Jerusalem for the Passover. And they're like, who's this Jesus uh, that everybody's talking about? And so Jesus begins to perform miraculous signs. Many people think that they were healings. 
And so all of a sudden it was like, hey, Mike dropped in at the blacksmith, you know, blacksmith like, you know, the anvil fell on his foot and Jesus healed him. That was amazing. Or, you know, Mike dropped in at Walmart and people are smiling. It's a miracle, you know. Uh, Mike dropped in at Chick-fil-A and I mean, who doesn't stop at Chick-fil-A? I mean, you know, and so all of a sudden the Messiah is coming and there's rumors spreading and all these things that are going on. And soon people didn't know what to do with that and especially the religious leaders. And so let's turn to John chapter three, verse one. And there's one particular religious leader that was like, who is this? And so in verse one, there's a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. Now he wasn't just like any Jewish religious leader, okay? Nicodemus was a member of the high council or the Sanhedrin, say Sanhedrin. Good, you learned something today, okay? There were only 70 of them, not 69, not 71, 70 of them. And he was probably in like the most elite of the elite, the top top echelon of them. Now the Romans, they would let like some people in the conquered area, like have some power and uh, to kind of keep things at bay. And these uh, religious leaders most likely had to like appease the Romans to stay in power as well. So it was kind of like, I'll scratch your back if you scratch my back kind of relationship. And so the Sanhedrin was always looking for the Messiah. They thought the Messiah was going to come as a conquering general and wipe out the Roman Empire. And that's what they thought God wanted, okay? So surely when the Messiah comes, uh, they were part of God's kingdom already because they were Jewish, they were related to Abraham, and they did good. Not only did they do good, they were amazing at it. And so not only were they amazing at it, most likely, hey, Jesus, look how good we are. Is there something in it for us, okay? Because that's who they were. But then there was Nicodemus. And I bet that he saw John the Baptist with his own eyes, I bet he took the the trip. I'm not sure. And maybe he even saw Jesus get baptized. We're not sure. But instead of listening to the voices of the day and all of the fellow Sanhedrin who were saying, who is this guy? How dare this guy come on our territory? Instead, he went to investigate for himself. So let's continue. Verse two, after dark one evening, he, Nicodemus, came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, which was a high term of respect, acknowledged that Jesus was a teacher, okay? He said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. There are tons of signs going on. Oh my goodness. So let's pause, okay? What's going on here in Nicodemus? You know, again, the other religious leaders are saying, no way, Jose, who is this guy? He's not in, we're in. And Nicodemus is at that point, honestly seeking who is Jesus. And some of you, you've heard so many things about Jesus. So many things. Have you ever paused to say, who is Jesus? For yourself. That's what Nicodemus was doing. Now, Jesus kindly interrupts because he sees that conflict that's going on within Nicodemus. Verse three, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So now here's something that Jesus would be known for doing, okay? Uh, He would know what someone was thinking before they said it out loud, okay? Because 
Did Nicodemus say anything about the kingdom of God? He didn't, okay? So who is obviously thinking about the kingdom of God? Not a trick question. There we go. You got it. Nicodemus is obviously thinking about that. Because in the mind of a Jew, okay, he's going like, how is Jesus saying that everyone is invited? How is like Jesus saying that everyone can enter? You know, in the mind of a Jew, it was like, hey, you've got to be rightly related to uh, Abraham to be in, and you've got to do amazing good works and tip the scales in that direction. And so that excludes many. And Nicodemus is probably thinking, and we're not going to talk about the Romans because I might sin and then I might be out, okay? So when Jesus also mentions the word born again, that kind of did not compute with Nicodemus, okay? And I think he gets a little defensive in this conversation. Verse four, he said, what do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? I think Nicodemus is saying, now, wait a second, Jesus, like you've said, everyone is invited. Everyone can enter into the kingdom of God. But yet you are saying, unless a person is born again, you cannot get into the kingdom of God. Like that's impossible. I thought following all the rules was impossible. Jesus, that's impossible. So Jesus continues to unpack this. I assure you, No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Now, when Jesus used those terms of water and spirit, that would have like sent the bells ringing in Nicodemus's mind because he knew the Old Testament inside and out. And he knew when God in the Old Testament uh, wrote about uh, water and spirit, that it was uh, in essence talking about the spiritual renewal of a person that only God could do and that man could not do. Okay, and so he thought, oh, you're right, Jesus. But wait a second, what about uh, all my works? You know, what about being good enough? Like, isn't that what it's about? So Jesus sees this struggle to understand, okay? And so he gives another illustration, verse eight. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Basically, Nicodemus, like man can't control the wind, right? And just like the wind, we can't control the Holy Spirit. That's a God thing, okay? Man does not get into the kingdom of God by their good works. Just like man can't control the wind, so you can't control your destiny by your own actions. Now, at that point, I mean, Nicodemus could have written Jesus off, could have walked away from the conversation, but he does something that's so important. Don't miss this. It's a question whether you believe in God or not that you need to ask yourself and be honest with, okay? It's this question. How are these things possible? How are these things possible? 
So I love Nicodemus. Here's this guy who is searching for himself because he's thinking, man, do I have this wrong? Like I thought being good and being related to Abraham would get me in. Isn't it about having more weight of doing good on the scales that gets me right with God? Isn't that correct? Now I love this. One time I had a friend Um, when I was in college, I worked a lot of big like summer jobs that were really hard and everything. And I was working in this kind of like factory. And, um, at that time I kind of just like decided, I felt like God said, Hey, just tell everybody on the entire shift about me throughout the entire summer. And so second shift, five at night till two, three, four, five in the morning, six in the morning, uh, hard labor. And there was this guy, his nickname was Robo. Okay. And, uh, that was his nickname. And, um, and the reason it was Robo is because he was like a machine. Like he was just amazing at what he did and lifting all these things. And it was like, and he didn't look like he could lift stuff. And it was just like, man, you are a Robo, you know, and, and alive and well. And so he heard me talking to these guys about God one time. And he's like, Hey, how can you be sure? How can you be sure about that? And I said, well, Robo, have you ever like investigated for yourself? Have you ever asked the question who Jesus is? And he's like, no. I said, well, would you like to do that? I said, I want to challenge you. I'll give you a Bible. I'll give you just one thing to read, the gospel of John about Jesus' life. And would you do this? Would you simply say, who is Jesus each day? Just pray, read one chapter and get through the entire gospel. And then let's have a conversation. You want to do that? He's like, I'll do that. I'll do that. And so as he started doing that, like his continence, his facial uh, interactions with me changed. Like he stopped like talking to me and it was like, ooh, what's happening there, you know? And he just got quieter and quieter. He wasn't like talking to anyone. And I just saw what it was. It was this intensity of him just really searching. He wasn't mad at me. He wasn't mad at anybody. He was wrestling and wrestling with who Jesus is. And I'll come back to his story in a moment. So Jesus sees Nicodemus' sincerity, and he does something so amazing. I mean, amazing, mind-boggling, okay? When I say it, you're just gonna miss it, but this is mind-boggling for Nicodemus. In verse 10, Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, And yet you don't understand these things. Basically, if you don't understand, what about everyone? I've been invited to invite everyone, okay? I have come to let everyone know that they can enter the kingdom of God and not just yourself, not just the religious leaders, not just the Jewish people, but even, even the Romans, And I assure you, what's that word? I assure you, say it one more time. Oh, it goes plural. Jesus is claiming to be God. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. If you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned but the Son of Man. And that was a direct reference to God himself. 
And Nicodemus would have went, whoa, but the son of man has come down from heaven. Now here's my gut, okay? In that moment, I bet you could not hear a pin drop or you could hear a pin drop, okay? I bet Nicodemus was blown away. He was speechless in that moment because he's starting to make the connection that I am speaking directly to the king, the king of the universe. How does he know my thoughts? How does he know what I'm wrestling with? Then Jesus makes it even more clear for Nicodemus, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. You remember that? Do you remember that story you learned as a child? So that everyone who believes in me will have eternal life. Nicodemus, do you remember when my people were wandering in the desert for 40 years and they were doing things their way instead of my way? And every child knows this and can understand this, that one time there was a plague of snakes and to be saved from the snakes, like I told Moses, like get a pole, get a bronze snake, put it on top, left over from the Egyptians. And if they turn to it, if they say they're sorry and look at it, they will be saved. How easy is that to remember? Even a child can remember that story. So Nicodemus, here's what I'm trying to say to you. The son of man, AKA the Messiah, AKA the guy who is standing right before you is going to be lifted up one day. And he's... And those who put their faith in me, just like that bronze snake, will be saved from death. Nicodemus, the days of the scales are over. The kingdom is here now. You get into the kingdom by placing your faith in me and not in good works. Everyone is invited. Everyone can enter when they put their faith in me. Because here's real love. Real love is not static. It is not self-centered like you Jew Jewish religious leaders. It has no boundaries. It is always inviting and always reaching out to everyone. It plays no favorites at all. Love does not put stipulations on people that they cannot bear themselves. And it gives people a choice because that's how much I love you. Nicodemus, when you love someone so dearly, you will be willing to freely sacrifice for them. And my father loves everyone. And I love everyone. And I willingly came on my own and will sacrifice my life for the payment of everyone's sin. Then I'm going to offer to everyone a right standing with God. And I'm not gonna force myself on people. It's gonna be their choice. And when they receive it, they will have a right standing with God forever and will never be taken away. There's no confusion about it. There is exactness to it. And you will be mine. That's what Jesus was saying. And then he finishes with these very familiar words. You've heard these words, okay? And this is where they were first spoken, okay? They were spoken to Nicodemus. And John was hanging out with Jesus at the time. 
And later on, we know Nicodemus probably became a Christ follower. And he probably said, hey, Nicodemus, what was that conversation? You're a smart guy. You remember that? Oh, I remember. I'll never forget it. I was in my pause and decide moment. And this is exactly how the conversation went down. And I'll never forget what he said to me at the end. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone, not just some, everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And Peter, John, Nicodemus, and thousands of people saw Jesus put on a cross, raised up for all to see, and died, sacrificed his life out of a great love for everyone. And then thousands of people saw him come back to life from the dead. And that's why Peter, who wrote the beginning of this account that we started in, could write this, and we missed it. Listen to what he said, Mark 1.1. This is the good news. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began. And it's not over. And now it's your turn. It's your turn to stop and decide. How will you decide for yourself? Do you need more information? Do you realize that everyone is invited? Everyone can be part of the kingdom of God because it's not about doing good. It's about being forgiven through what Jesus did for us and putting our faith in him. So I'm gonna be real simple today, okay? And how we're gonna end. Some of you have had a stop and decide moment as you've been listening. Some of you, as I've been speaking, you've had this moment in you deep down that you just know that God's there. You know that God is working. You know the words that you heard from Jesus are true. And you never thought that you could be invited. You never thought that you could enter into the kingdom of God. You weren't sure about that. You didn't know that you could be with the king, the king of the universe. You didn't know that you could be forgiven now and last forever. And so what I'd like to do is for us just to bow our heads, close our eyes, and I wanna talk to you as we pray. So as we begin to pray, If something just resonated with you today and you have never put your faith in Jesus as your savior, as your king, and you would like to have your sins forgiven and for him to become your king and put your faith in him. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? No one looking, just raise your hand if that's what you would like to do today. Thank you. Awesome. Great. That's great. If you're raising your hand, just simply say this to God. Jesus, thank you for coming to earth. Thank you for dying on the cross. I believe you rose from the grave. Would you forgive me of my sins? 
Would you be my king? Would you be my Lord? Would you be my savior? Thank you. If you did that, he is your king. Now, as we continue to pray, some of you had a stop and decide moment today where you know that you're just off track. Like he's king of your life, but you've kind of taken him off the throne. You're kind of doing your own deal. You're just having a moment where you know you'd like to get back on track. And so if that's you, would you just simply raise your hand? Be bold, raise your hand. Awesome, thank you, thank you, many. And would you just simply say this to him? Father, I'm so sorry for being off track and doing it my way. I'm coming back to you and I'm putting you on the throne of my life. Would you forgive me? I'm turning to you. And then there's some of you who are continuing to check out who Jesus is, and that is amazing. And I want you to be able to do that. On the spiritual growth challenge today uh, that you can pick up as you're leaving, uh, I've put a reading plan that walks you through 20 day, 21 days of walking with Jesus like I did with my friend Robo. And I want you to read that. And so I want you to make a commitment. If that's you and you're still checking out Christ, would you make that commitment that I'm going to do that? And would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? If that's the challenge that you're going to take, awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So let's continue and finish in prayer. Go ahead and stand because we're going to sing an amazing song after this. And let me finish in prayer here. So Father, we thank you. And I thank you for my friends who just said that they want to check out who you are. If that was you, just say to him right now, Jesus, I want to know who you are. I'm going to take this reading challenge. And just like my friend Robo, when he got near the end, I'll never forget. He said, Tim, I want to believe. But there's this thing going on in my life. And I'm just not sure. And I said, Robo, if God has revealed himself to you and you won't believe, I think he can take care of that in your life. And in that moment, he prayed to receive Christ. And so, Father, I just pray for everyone here. I pray as we go through this series, as we unpack your core teachings that you taught and so many people witnessed and saw and you backed up with action. Father, I pray that you will speak to our hearts and we will learn how to live your ways for your kingdom and help to usher in the message, the good news, that everyone is invited. Everyone can enter the kingdom of God when they put their faith in you, Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.